This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. So we'll be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 onwards. Chapter 1, verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Chapter 2 verse 1 After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their home by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, 
in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. This is the word of our God. Thanks be to God. So right now, uh, Pastor Andrew Ong will be coming up to unpack today's passage. So let me invite Pastor Andrew Ong to um, unpack today's passage. Very good morning to all of you. Uh, it's really wonderful that we can come together again uh, over Zoom. And uh, we ho- I really do hope that uh, you're looking forward to meeting physically uh, and progressively. More and more people hopefully can join us for uh, live face-to-face services. But as we look at today's passage, once again, I'd like to invite you to pay your full attention to the passage and uh, follow me as you can. And uh, we really need God's word to help, uh, sorry, God's Holy Spirit to be helping us to understand his word as we look at it today. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Uh, dear Father, as we come before you today, uh, we really want to come before you. Uh, and we pray that we live in such a distracted world, a world where it's so hard to just give our full attention even for a short moment of time. But dear Father, as we come to your word, we pray that we may give it its due and utmost attention, its due and utmost respect as we read about uh, our creator, our maker, our savior, and in so many ways, uh, what the purpose of our lives and the meaning of our lives should be. And so we pray that we may give it its its real uh, necessary attention today. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the question that I want to begin with today as we look at the passage is, uh, what emotions do you feel when you think about the birth of Jesus? Uh, What are the emotions that you have when you associate uh, memories of the birth of Jesus, which is, I guess, uh, remembered during Christmas time? Well, ever since I was young, I've had relatively positive uh, emotions towards Christmas, even when I wasn't a Christian. Uh, My family celebrated Christmas, we had Christmas lunch, and we had presents. Uh, But over the years, it's it's been quite surprising to me because I've come across uh, various people and uh, I've read about things in the newspaper, which actually uh, increasingly more and more people have negative emotions about Jesus and negative emotions about the birth of Jesus which is, in a sense, celebrated at Christmas time. So here are some uh, newspaper headlines which uh, I just collected over the internet, which might be helpful. So in many Western countries nowadays, uh, there is this uh, debate about whether it's appropriate for you to actually wish your neighbors and your colleagues and your friends a Merry Christmas, or whether you should just uh, say Happy Holidays to them. Uh, you know, in fact, some people are arguing that uh, rather than uh, wishing people Merry Christmas or Happy Holidays, uh, even Happy Holidays in itself is not enough. Uh, people should just say uh, Happy New Year. And uh, recently I've been reading this thing about how even in, uh, in, in some places, calling uh, the Christmas tree the Christmas tree can be offensive. And uh, what they're saying is it's actually better to call it the holiday tree. So... Whether you're Christian or not Christian, uh, the issue that I really want to address today, which I think the Bible is referring to, is how do you feel about Christmas? How do you feel about what it represents? How do you feel about the birth of 
Jesus. Is it positive? Is it negative? It's irrelevant and doesn't matter to you. Okay, so I want to look at the passage that was read to us right at the beginning to, again, understand uh, who this person Jesus is. And for those of you who came last week for the Luke uh, sermon and the Luke passage, you see that there are many similarities in the gospel accounts in Matthew and in Luke. So in verse 18, it begins by saying, uh, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. So the first thing that I want to draw your attention to is how Jesus, even at his birth, was already recognized as the Messiah. Now this word here, the Messiah, is literally the same word as the Christ. And Messiah and Christ, both are the idea of anointing. Anointing in the sense where uh, in the ancient world, what would happen was uh, a king or a priest would be anointed uh, to, to show that they were now elevated into this position of king or priest. But as we come to the New Testament, as we come to the birth of Jesus, he is not a, an anointed person. He is, as we see here, the anointed, the Messiah or the Christ. And so this Jesus, the Messiah, is not his surname. So Jesus Christ is, you know, Christ is not the surname, not like Andrew Ong or something. But Christ, Messiah, is the title of Jesus. And the Messiah or the Christ really represents that Jesus is the ultimate king. He is the, the king above all things. He, kings. He is the king in which all of history is looking forward to. So I remember when my kids were much younger, they used to, at one stage, use this word called Uber. You know, and, and, you know, being a parent and being part of the older generation, I was very confused. Like, why do you keep saying Uber? You know, like, wow, this guy is a really Uber player. You know, he's really Uber good. And Uber, uh, literally, before we think of the uh, ride-sharing company, is actually a German word or a slang word for the ultimate or the best. And this one, when we actually look at Jesus, he is like the Uber king. He is like the ultimate king. He is the king above all kings. He is the Christ. And we see that in the passage itself, because when we look at the passage, it draws our attention uh, to the fact that Jesus' father was Joseph, son of David. So in verse 20, it said, After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, why is this important uh, that Joseph is the son of David? It's, it's like, you know, when people introduce me, they don't say Andrew, son of Tony, right? Or Andrew, son of someone. It's, why is that important? Well, if we actually spend the time going back to the earlier part of the book of Matthew, and as we link it back to this part, the idea that Jesus is from the line of David is exceedingly important. It's very, very important because it gives us a clue of why Jesus is the Messiah, why Jesus is the Christ. So again, when my kids were very young, one of their favorite uh, TV shows was this show called Blue's Clues. Uh, I'm not sure if uh, that's still around anymore or even popular, 
But there was this show uh, for kids where there was this guy and you go around looking for clues. And blue uh, is the dog, right? So this guy is blue. Okay, maybe I should use the blue color to circle him. So this is blue. And what happens is a uh, blue always helps in helping the, the, the viewer find the clue to the, the, the quiz. So, you know, blues have always going around helping to show where the clue is. And so as we look at this passage here in Matthew chapter 1, again, it's almost as if David, sorry, Joseph, son of David, is like a blues clue. It's trying to point us in the direction of why Jesus is the Christ. And the blue clue here is that David, in history, a thousand years ago, was King David, and God had promised that David, one of the offspring of David, would be king forever. He would be the eternal king. All right, so uh, in, one, in, in Sam, one, 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, it says, The Lord declares to you, King David, that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days, King David, are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish his throne forever. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me, so will endure forever before me, your throne will be established forever. And so we see this word here, forever, being repeated. And that gives us the blues clue, in a sense, that Jesus is this uber king forever. He will be the king that will be everlasting. And that's the first thing that we learn about the importance of Christmas. It's a celebration of the Christ, celebration of the coming of the Messiah, this uber everlasting king. But as we saw last week in the book of Luke, in the gospel of Luke, Jesus is more than just Christ, everlasting king. If you look in the passage, as we were looking at verse 20 to 22, this is what it says. It says, after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So the second thing that we learn about Jesus and his birth is that Jesus is not just a human being, but he is beyond a human being. He's conceived from the Holy Spirit. And because he's conceived from the Holy Spirit, it says there, he will be called Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means God with us. Now, Emmanuel is like not Jesus' nickname, right? It's like, you know, uh, as we read about Jesus, no, you know, his family don't call him, hey, Emmanuel, or Emmanuel, you know, come, come over here. Or his friends don't call him Emmanuel. Or the disciples don't call him Emmanuel. Because Emmanuel's not really his name. Emmanuel 
is who he is. He is God with us. It points to his nature, it points to his identity. And this is very important because during Christmas, when we see the birth of Jesus, when we recognize and celebrate his birth, what are we really, really remembering? We are remembering that God is come into this world to be with us. So many years ago, there was this old song, and I'm sure only a few of us remember it. But uh, this song is, uh, okay, don't worry, the Isaiah passage, which quotes for us uh, the meaning of this Emmanuel coming into this world. But there was a song by Bette Midler, okay? Uh, It's quite a catchy song, and you can hear it on some of the radio stations even today. And it's the title of the song and the common chorus of the song is, God is watching us from a distance, right? God is watching us, God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance. But it gives the picture of God as a very remote God. He's very far away. He's, he, he's, not, he's not in relationship with us, so to speak. You know, he's far away. But Christmas celebrates the birth of Jesus. And it celebrates that God comes among us with the intention of having a relationship with us. God is not watching us from a distance. God is here with us presently in Jesus Christ. And that's the other wonderful thing about Christmas. It's not just that the uber Christ is here, the eternal Christ is here, but that God, Emmanuel, is with us. God is with us. And as God comes among us, right, What does he come to do? Well, the Bible says very clearly that he comes here in order to save his people from their sins. Now, I want us to pay a bit of attention here to this word sins. Because unless we understand this word here, sins, we we can't quite really understand what Jesus has come to do. And sins really is the ultimate four-letter word. Uh, The Bible describes sins as both an action and an attitude. Sins are where we do wrong, we do bad, we do things which break the law of God. But sins are also an attitude, an attitude of saying to God, I don't care, I don't care, I will do what I want to do. And these two things, the attitudes and the actions, are like burdens upon us. They're huge burdens upon us. Uh, The Bible, in a sense, describes uh, these sins as these huge burdens upon us, which which we ourselves carry. So, okay, so this is a picture from a a comic, comic which is actually based on a book called The Pilgrim's Progress. And sins here literally are these burdens which are on our shoulder, we carry them in ourselves, the burdens of sin, the burdens of the penalty, which come with our sins, the burden of the judgment that comes with our sin, the burden of the punishment that comes with our sin. And what the Bible says is, at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Jesus, the coming of the Christ, the coming of God himself to save us, to take away this burden that we alone are carrying. So as we come to uh, the end of chapter 1, what's very clear is it answers the question of who is 
Jesus. Who is Jesus? He is God, Emmanuel. God come to be among us. He is Christ, everlasting King. And he is Savior. Come to save people from their sins. So Matthew chapter 1 answers the question, who is Jesus? Then Matthew chapter 2 introduces, introduces the question, what reaction is there to Jesus? Is it a thumbs up or is it a thumbs down? Is it a smiley face or is it an angry face? And so that brings us now to Matthew chapter 2. And in Matthew chapter 2, in verse 1 it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, Magi, who are these people called Magi? Okay, they're not magic, okay, they're Magi. Uh, the Magi actually people who are referred to in the Old Testament, and they come from far, far, far away from Judea, far, far away from Bethlehem. They are not God's people. They, they do not worship uh, God or the God of uh, Israel. They are astronomers, astrologers, wise men from far away in the East. Now, how far is it? I mean, when the original readers thought of Magi, where were they thinking of? Okay, so, uh, in Singapore, okay, so these are real people, real time, real place. Okay, so this happened in history. Jesus born in Bethlehem under King Herod. Okay, so King Herod here. Oops. Okay, so uh, here we see the distance across Singapore was 31 miles. Okay, 31 miles. The Magi, it is estimated, traveled 900 miles. Okay, so imagine walking across from Singapore, Jurong to Changi. Uh, they traveled 30 times that distance. They walked 30 times that distance, approximately 40 days, maybe 120 days, it says here, all the way in order to see Jesus. They wanted to come, it says, to worship Jesus. But I want you to think about how far they actually came in order to worship Jesus. They really came really far. They spent 40 to 120 days walking 900 miles in order to worship Jesus. And why did they do that? Because in many senses, they saw who Jesus was. He was they saw that he was the king of the Jews. But more than that, I think, they saw this mysterious supernatural event happening where this star was traveling and they were following the star in order to find out about this supernatural event. And somehow, through their astronomy, through their astrology, through whatever wisdom that they had, they recognized that this star was really, really important and they wanted to come to bow down and to worship before this baby. So that's a wonderful thing. That, that's one of the reactions that we read about, that these people came miles and miles to come to worship this baby Jesus. But 
as we look at the passage, that's not the only reaction to the birth of Jesus. Because in verse 3 it says, when King Herod heard this, he was, it says here, disturbed. And we're going to pay attention to this word later on. This is a very, very important word for us, this word disturbed. And it wasn't just Herod who was, it says here, disturbed. But all Jerusalem, all Jerusalem together with him, all Jerusalem together with King Herod were disturbed. So when he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. King Herod is a terrible liar. Now, as we look at this passage, we see that King Herod uh, was very disturbed. And it's never good for King Herod to be disturbed. Uh, King Herod lived and ruled uh, in uh, Israel from, be- with it, be- between, um, oops, sorry, from between, seven, uh, he lived from 73 BC to 4 BC. And he ruled for a long time from, uh, I think, 17 BC to 4 BC. And... Um, he was a bad, bad man. Uh, one of his chief characteristics of uh, King Herod was he loved power. He loved holding on to power. And we know in history that in order to hold on to power, he was willing to murder. He murdered his wife. He murdered his mother-in-law. He murdered his brother-in-law. He murdered his two sons in order to hold on to power. In fact, the emperor of the time, the Roman emperor of the time, Augustus, was reported to have said that it was better to be Herod's pig than to be his son because, you know, you're less likely to die. So we see here that Herod, when he was disturbed, was disturbed because he was threatened because he heard that the king of the Jews was now born and he feared that he would lose his kingship to the king of the Jews, even though he was just a baby. But it wasn't just King Herod who feared and was disturbed by the coming of baby Jesus. It says there very clearly that all Jerusalem together with King Herod was disturbed. It was because, in a sense, they had they had an interest in King Herod remaining in power. They wanted the status quo to remain the same. They didn't want this new king of the Jews to come. And so they were all disturbed. And this word disturbed here has the idea of mental anguish, great emotional turbulence or agitation. So on one hand, the Magi were filled with strong, positive emotions to the birth of Jesus. But yet the Jews themselves... King Herod, the religious leaders, the political leaders, they were filled with negative emotions towards the birth of Jesus. They were disturbed, emotionally agitated at the birth of Jesus. 
So we continue on the story now in verse uh, 9 to 11. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. And so here again, we see this theme of being overjoyed. The Magi, they didn't come, they are three, they're 900 miles with resentment. And, you know, why do we have to travel so far? Why is it taking so long? They were overjoyed when they came and they finally met with the baby Jesus. And in their joy, this genuine emotion, it says, they bowed down and they worshipped Jesus. Now, a few things that I think we really want to explore here. I think that in our translation, uh, it translates it very simply and plainly by saying that they were overjoyed. I think that that in a sense, helps us see what they were feeling. But in a sense, it's not so helpful because it actually overlooks just how overjoyed they really, really were. So in the original language, uh, the word that is used uh, is actually a, a a word that we're very familiar with. It says that they were mega joyed. They were mega overjoyed. Okay, And this is originally comes from the original language, mega. So we have megatropolis, right? Or megaphone or megabyte. And mega is like on a scale of, uh, you know, of emotions and feeling. What it's really saying is the Magi were really, really, really happy. They were mega joyful. But in the original, tra- uh, tra- uh, original language, it doesn't just have one word which describes how joyful they were. It has two words. Uh, the other word is actually a, uh, the word which means exceedingly or violently or terribly. So the Magi here were described as having mega joy and violently, exceedingly joyful. And that's why when we look at the, uh, a translation which is more word for word in, in the Bible translations, like in the New American Standard Bible, it actually translates it as when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. How did the Magi react? What feelings did they have to Jesus and coming before him? They was overflowing with joy. They were mega joyful. They were exceedingly joyful. And as a result, what did they do? They bow down and worship Jesus. Now, when we read this, we kind of like think, well, yeah, well, that's normal, right? Because, you know, we bow down and worship Jesus all the time as Christians. But consider it in this original context. Uh, the Bible is very clear, uh, for the Jews especially, that 
they're not meant to bow down and worship anybody but God. And the Ten Commandments is very clear. It says there very clearly, you shall not bow down and worship, right? You shall not bow down and worship people. You shall not bow down and worship idols. There is no other God beside God. But here we see the Magi come before a baby and bow down and worship before him. Even King David, right? Nobody bowed down and worshipped King David. That was blasphemy. But here we have the Magi coming and bowing down and worshipping as God, the baby Jesus. And Joseph and Mary, who are faithful Jews, we presume, didn't stop them. So how are we to understand this? We can only understand it really because we see that here is God, right? Here is the King, and here is the Savior. That's the only way we can understand how the Magi can bow down and worship the baby Jesus in front of Mary and Joseph, but yet seems to be a very normal thing, even though it's against the Ten Commandments, even though it's against everything that the Jews believe. Now, that is, again, the Magi and their reaction. But as we come to the last part of this passage, we now come back again to Herod. And so let's look at verse 12 to 18. And, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they, the Magi, returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and to kill him. So he got up, Joseph got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. They didn't stay, they left straight away. Where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted, for they are no more. So here we actually see uh, that there is this climax in the story. The earthly king, Herod, was trying to trick the Magi to reveal the person of Jesus so that he could kill Jesus. But the heavenly king, the real king, intervenes to put a stop to the earthly king's plan. And he does so, God does so, by sending two dreams. One dream he sends to the Magi. Right? In the dream... He told them not to go back to Herod, but to return back to their country by another route. In another dream, he speaks to Joseph and he says, take the child and his mother, right this very moment, escape to Egypt. And that's exactly what happens. So we see that the evil plans of King Herod in his fury, in his disturbance to eliminate all pretenders, all people coming up to his throne is thwarted. So, uh, Joseph makes the journey down to Egypt, escapes the clutches of 
of King Herod. The Magi, instead of returning back to Herod, they go by another route and they go all the way back to Babylon. And Jesus, who is God come to this earth, Christ and Savior, is safe. But the story doesn't end there. Because the remembrance of the birth of Jesus during Christmas often forgets that it was a time of great tragedy, tears and mourning. Because what is then recorded is what is known as the Massacre of the Innocents. You'll see many classical pictures of the Massacre of the Innocents. And what this recounts is the murder of innocent children two years and under by King Herod in a futile attempt to eliminate the king who has come to this earth. So as we look at this passage, why... Why does King Herod react so differently from the Magi? The Magi are mega joyful, exceedingly joyful. But here, King Herod is filled instead with murderous wrath, anger and disturbance. I think at the end of the day, it's because King Herod is unwilling to have the King Jesus rule over him. He's unwilling to have King Jesus rule over his life. And he strikes out at King Jesus. He wants to eliminate Jesus. He wants to eliminate Jesus so badly he will murder Jesus, even murder innocent children in an effort to get rid of King Jesus. All because he doesn't want King Jesus, the uber king, to be ruler over him. And I think that for ourselves as well, when we come to Christmas and we remember the birth of Jesus, there are people, even people like ourselves, who want to eliminate Jesus. We don't want the baby Jesus in our lives. And ultimately, it's because we don't want to recognize the rule of Christ over us. Now, that's really sad, I think. It's a really sad irony because at the end of the day, Jesus was God, Emmanuel, coming to the earth. He was the Christ, but he came to serve us. He came to serve even those who hated him and wanted to kill him. He is the savior. So many years ago, uh, I, uh, when I was living in Australia, I used to go to the beach and I liked to swim at the beach. And one day I went to this beach uh, in this picture here called uh, Wanda in Sydney. It's down in the southern shire of Sydney. And as you can see, actually, it's a huge expanse of water. and It can actually be a bit dangerous. Anyway, so I was uh, swimming at Wanda Beach many years ago and I was swimming fairly far out. I didn't realize how far I, I drifted out and I didn't realize how tired I was. And uh, I realized I couldn't make it back to the shore. And so there was an old Aussie guy there with me and I said, you know, I'm in trouble. I can't get back. And so he said, wave, wave to the, to the lifesaver on the beach. And so I started waving together with the old man and uh, the surf lifesaver came up with a bo- big board and put me on the board and rescued me and brought me back to the shore. And I felt relief. I felt overjoyed. I felt thankful that, uh, that the surf lifesaver had saved me. But imagine if the surf lifesaver had come out to save me. And I stabbed the surf lifesaver with a knife and killed the surf lifesaver. Now that would be really, really tragic, right? I mean, that would be terrible. But that's exactly what Herod really wanted to do. God, Emmanuel, 
Christ had come into the world to save people from their sins. But Herod, instead of being overjoyed, mega joyful at the Magi, he really wanted to put a knife into the back of Jesus. And I think that sadly, when people come to this time of year and remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus, they also want to, in a way, put a a knife in the back of the Savior. They don't want Jesus to be in this world. They don't want Jesus to be ruler over their life. But it's really sad because Jesus is the only one who, in a way, as you look at this picture, can take away our sins from the burden of our sins from our back, release us from this burden. And we can truly be free and rejoice to be free of the burden of sins, the penalty of sins, the the punishments of sins and the judgments of sins. So I hope that as you come to Christmas and you remember the birth of Jesus, you will feel mega joy. You will feel exceedingly joyful. Not because of the presents you will receive or the presents that you will buy for yourself or the meals that you will eat or the beautiful Christmas tree that you will decorate, but because it really remembers and celebrates Emmanuel, God come into this world, Christ, the Uber King, come into this world to save us from our sins. I'd like to invite you to go to God and pray. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we want to really pray that we understand who Jesus is, that he is God come into this world, that we will remember that he is Christ, the Uber King, eternal King forever. And he comes to serve us by saving us from our sins, taking away the burden of our wrongful actions, of our wrongful attitudes. He is the only one who can take off our our shoulders and our back, the burden of punishment, the burden of penalty, the burden of judgment. We pray that we will, as a result of knowing this, be like the Magi who bow down and worship Jesus, who do so not with resentment, but with mega joy and exceeding joy. We pray for ourselves that we will not be like Herod, who want to eliminate all sign of Jesus in life, in the world, because we do not want Jesus to be king over our lives. So dear Father, we do pray for many people in the world who do reject Jesus, who do want in many ways to eliminate Jesus, that they will see the great mistake and the sad irony of rejecting the only Savior that they will have. We pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.